0: Love, talk, radio.
1: Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Addiction Treatments That Work. I'm your host, Kenneth Anderson. Tonight, it is April 4th of 2013, and tonight, our guest is uh, Dr. Gail Dekoff, uh, who will be talking about multidimensional fami- family therapy. You say that again: multidimensional family therapy. Before we start the show, I'm going to do a little blurb for our website and our book. Our website is hamsnetwork.org. We are a free-of-charge lay support group for people who want to make any positive change in their drinking habits, from safer drinking to reduced drinking to quitting altogether. Our book is called How to Change Your Drinking: A Harm Reduction Guide to Alcohol. It's available from Amazon. For more information, go to hamsnetwork.org/book. Our guests. Uh, Gail Decoff is with us right now. How are you doing this evening?
0: I'm doing great. Thank you for inviting me.
1: Did I say your last name correctly?
0: Yes, you did. Excellent.
1: Okay, good. So we're going to talk about multidimensional family therapy, which is quite a mouthful. Um, So what group is targeted by this treatment? Is it adults, young people?
0: It's young people, adolescents, and also young adults, 18 to 24. But most of our research and most of the treatment um, has been and is on the teenage groups, 11 to 18. Although recently we've expanded, extended to the uh, young adults, and we're very excited about that also.
1: And what sort of treatment is this? Is this a residential? Is it an outpatient? How does it work?
0: Well, MDFT is a a family-based treatment, and it can be, um, and it is actually being implemented in a variety of settings. So it can be uh, in an outpatient setting, it can be in a day treatment setting, a partial hospitalization, or even in a residential setting. Most of the work in the U.S. and the research and most of the work in the U.S. and in uh, Europe and Canada is in an outpatient or an intensive outpatient setting.
1: Uh, Have you uh, done anything to compare if it's more effective in one setting than the other?
0: Um, No. Uh, We've compared within settings, um, and we find that MDFT is more effective um, than the alternative uh, treatment. Uh, So, for instance, we compare... Um, We have compared MDFT, intensive outpatient version, in-home version, to residential treatment, and we find that MDFT is as or more effective than residential treatment, especially in the long term. And and then we've compared MDFT to a day treatment program um, and find the same thing. and of course many studies on an outpatient basis comparing mdft with other outpatient approaches
1: well i know there's been quite a few studies in recent years that have looked to see if uh if the inpatient is more effective than an outpatient and a residential is more effective than the day classes and uh, surprisingly they found there's not so much difference um except in the cost
0: right and I like to, I mean, if you look at the literature very carefully, you can say, well, the results about residential treatment and residential comparing to um, non-residential treatments, you know, the results are really equivocal. I mean, it does look like, one problem, if I may step back, is that there aren't many really well-designed rigorous studies of residential treatment uh, comparing it to anything. So, um, the we're not sure, we need more studies. Um, but if you look at the residential literature, you say you can see, and I think it's pretty clear, that while the teens are in the residential treatment, they're doing well. Those who stay, of course, they're not using drugs and uh, mental health symptoms are down and, and things are great. But it looks like those effects don't last. They get home and maybe after a few months, certainly after six, 12 months, then the uh, benefits, the gains made while they were in residential treatment, don't last. But it is clear, I think, that while the kids are in the residential treatment program, they are doing better in a, in a host of measures. But of course, you know, we're not going to keep kids locked up in residential treatment forever. And we did a study that, actually, I hope will be we will be published soon, comparing MDFT to uh, residential treatment. These were teens who were, their drug use was so severe and they had dual diagnoses that the uh, they were referred to and the state of Florida was willing to pay for residential treatment. And what we did was we randomized them to this residential program, an excellent residential program or multi-dimensional family therapy But multidimensional family therapy offered in a very intensive way because it was an alternative to residential and everybody felt that the children were in danger to themselves and the public to be in in the community. So it was an in-home version of MDFT where the therapist would meet with the teens and the families, you know, an average of twice a week, maybe daily contact on the phone, perhaps even more as was needed. And what we found is that um, MDFT did as well as residential treatment while the kids in the first two months, from intake to two months, so that's when all the teens were still in the residential program. And we was we were very surprised because we thought the residential will do better than MDFT in reducing symptoms during the first two months because the MDFT kids are still out in the community. Mm-hmm. Um, but that wasn't the case. And then when we look long-term, 24 months and even 48 months, it was quite amazing. The kids who received MDFT maintained most of their treatment gains quite well over that long period, and the kids who were referred to the residential program, on average, uh, gradually started to uh, have an increase in their symptoms again and, and didn't really maintain the gain. So that. For us, we think there is a place for residential treatment, absolutely. But as you mentioned, the cost is is high. The results of residential are equivocal. So we're really excited about this new finding that shows that MDFT seems to be do as well, if not better, and seems to sustain the gains in the long term. So that's kind of interesting.
1: Well, it makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, if you treat people on an outpatient basis, then they're learning ways to deal with their environment that they live in while they're getting the treatment. If you take people to a totally residential setting, totally remove them from their environment, they don't learn how to deal with those environmental factors. And they get back in that environment and, you know, boom, they're back there with all those influences. They didn't learn how to deal with them.
0: Yes, absolutely. And I know some parents are at their wit's end. And they feel like you know it's all it's very dangerous, and we've got to do residential treatment. They feel like, I can't take it anymore, and I understand that completely. And I always tell them exactly what you said: if we can treat the kid and have him learn things while he's living with you in the community, it's going to be much better. Now sometimes the it's you know things are so dangerous. Uh, the child's life is at risk, then of course you've got to do residential. So I don't want to be anti residential because mm-hmm, there mm-hmm. is a for it. But you're absolutely right. If we can treat them in the community, that's just going to be much better in the long term for everybody.
1: Yeah, and it seems to me even if you do need a residential component to start off, you really would need that outpatient treatment afterwards because you need to help them really adjust to live in the environment that they're going to have to live in.
0: Absolutely. And there's this innovative program in the state of Connecticut. It's been running for a couple of years, and now they're expanding to more programs. Um, more sites, and they brought MDFT into a short-term, like you say, a short-term residential program. Um, well, maybe people, some people wouldn't think it's short-term, but it's four months. And after a month, but these are, you know, children who have really severe problems. After a month, the the, the teams start going home, maybe for four hours, maybe for eight hours, and every weekend, after the month, they're home, and the family therapist, the MDFT therapist will go to the home and do family sessions right there in the home, and problems will arise, right, because they're in the, back in their natural environment, and the therapist uh, from the residential program can deal with the problems, and then the kids come back to the program, and they 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 do this for the four months. And then, of course, when they're discharged, they're discharged to a community-based MDFT program to continue what was started in residential and to, you know, to help the child and the parents transition to, you know, normal life post-residential. And it's the results have been very good. They're... Um, the, the folks there in Connecticut love the program, as, as do I. So it's a very exciting new new thing that we're getting into. But it exactly uh, agrees with the point that you made.
1: Well, let's get a little more into the details of how this works now. It's called family therapy, multidimensional family therapy. Do you treat the whole family?
0: Well, yeah. Absolutely a family therapy so as as distinguished from a family involved treatment or other words you hear are family based treatment and I think the difference is a family involved treatment could have a few sessions with the family. The family is supportive, but most of the work happens between the therapist and the teen in an individual or group setting or whatever and uh, multidimensional family therapy is really a family therapy, and our foundation, uh, the developer of MDFT, uh, Dr. Howard Little, was trained by pioneers in family therapy, Dr. Salvador Minuchin and Jade Haley, in strategic and structural family therapy, and that's our foundation. So we're a family therapy. Now, you said treating the whole family, that can mean many things too. We're treating the adolescent, because it's an adolescent treatment. So adolescent uh, externalizing problems typically. It's drug use, it's delinquency, truancy, not doing well in school, family conflict, um, all those kinds of things. So that's the symptom. It's the adolescent, but it's our belief, and it's, of course, the theory in family therapy, that in order to treat the adolescent or a child, you can't just treat the Child or the adolescent, they live in a in a family, and you've got to got to um, not you've got to involve you've got to involve the family in treatment. You've got to intervene with them, help them make changes so that they can help their child. So it's a real family therapy. We but what we do in a, and it's multidimensional, and um, we try to change the teen and the parents in a variety of, of domains and dimensions, so emotional, behavioral, cognitive, and and then we work in what we say are four domains, alone with the adolescent, the parent domain, the family, parents and teens together, and then the family in relation to the community, school, courts, recreation, and so on and so forth.
1: So... Um... Do you you get situations where, you know, so the parents will say, well, it's my kid that's fucked up. I'm perfectly fine. I don't need to make any changes.
0: Yes. And we have a way, uh, of course, many times. And we have a way of, I mean, it's a manualized intervention. So we have a way of talking to the teens, talking to the parents, to engage them into therapy and to see that it's that they need to be involved in the treatment. And we have a phrase in MDFC which we say to the parents in a variety of ways is, you're the medicine. You know, I usually tell them, if I could do it myself, if I could meet alone with your kid and help him stop using drugs and stop committing crimes and getting along better with you and going to school and not being so depressed, if I could do it myself, I would. Um, you know, because I know how burdened parents are, but the reality is, we're just a therapist, and as we say, you, the parents, are the medicine. And so, really, what we're saying is, we're not saying they're at fault. We're very supportive and empowering of parents, but we say you're the medicine. You're not the blunt. You're not the fault. You're not the reason for the problem, not at all. But you are the solution, and I wanna. You and I want to help you figure out how to help your child and your family, so that you're all help, happier and uh, healthier. So it's how you talk to folks.
1: Now you refer to this as a manualized therapy. Does that mean that you have a handbook that the therapist uses to guide them when they do treatment?
0: Yes, there's a a lot of uh, uh, materials to help them, protocols, guides to session, a manual that uh, explains all the interventions. And, of course, to do MDFT, you really have to participate in one of the MDFT training programs. So it's very intensive, hands-on training and supervision to help therapists not only do the model but do it do it really well. So it's quite an intensive uh, Program, it's a manual, and we have protocols, and there are specific MDFT interventions and non-MDFT interventions. But it's also a very flexible model. It's not you read the manual and you say A, B, and C, and you know it's not like that. The the protocols and the manuals are more guides, um, and you know, we expect and we teach clinicians how to make it their own, how to use their own self and their own experience, um, how to make it particular for the family that they're seeing. So it's we like to say it's it's structured, which it is, but also flexible.
1: So is it like a menu of options? If you find one's not working, you can choose another one?
0: Well not even like that really. Because even that's kind of a little digital. It's um I mean there are interventions. There are things that we do, uh how we talk to parents and kids in the beginning to get them engaged, how we talk to there's an MDFT way of 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 helping um teens uh regulate their emotions more, express their anger in in and disappointment in a useful way. We have ways of helping the family repair their relationships. Often, there's a lot of hurt and betrayal, so it's not really an option uh, menu. Um, it's a whole packet of interventions. Some things we do with the adolescents, some with the parents, some with the family, and there's a general sequence of when you do some things. You do first, typically, but you, as the clinician, you 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 learn the whole model. And and you decide what to do now, what to do next, based on uh the needs of the teen and the family that you're working with. I don't know oh. if that was
1: cool, but okay. Um and <clears throat> the person the the adolescent that's receiving the treatment, do, is this just a talk therapy where you talk back and forth? Are there written exercises? How does it work?
0: talk. Yeah. It's talk. So you're going to talk with the the there'll be sessions along with the teen and the therapist. And then there's sessions with the parents and the therapist and then sessions with the teen and the parents and the therapist together. And it is it is talking. There's not a workbook. There's not writing. Although a therapist may decide that it's useful for this particular a teen loves to write and it may be useful for them to write in a journal and they talk about it, that's fine. That's part of the flexibility. The Therapists can, can do many things that they think will help that teen, but there's no workbook or formal exercises per se.
1: So what would you do with a teenager that came in and said, well, I like to use the drugs. There's nothing wrong with using drugs. It's a society that's all screwed up. You know, they shouldn't arrest people for using drugs. How would you deal with that? Well,
0: our first approach would be to try to understand the team. We're not – we don't lecture. We don't give advice. We don't take a moralistic stance. So if a team came in like that and said, hey, I'm perfectly fine using no problem – we would talk to him about it. Okay, no problems. Like, really, no problems? I mean, uh, how are you doing in school? Um, didn't you just get arrested? Um, you know, and, but, again, in a, in a way of, well, tell me about this. How, how is it that you're able to use all these drugs and not have it be a problem in your life? That's fantastic. Let's talk about that. Tell me what it is. In a very collaborative way, we start where we want to. We come and we tell the kid, look. It's your life. It's not my life. I'm not going to tell you to do this or to do that or to not use drugs. You know I wish you wouldn't use drugs, but it's your life. What I want to do is spend this time where we sit and we think, and let me help you Let me help you get some of what you want, help you understand yourself better. And we have, a, again, a phrase in MDFT with the team, there is something in this for you. We try to come very collaborative, very supportive. We listen to the teen, we understand them, we treat them with respect, and we 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 tell the kid, I want there's something in this for you. We're meeting in therapy. Maybe your parents are making you come here. Maybe the court. Maybe the school. As long as you're here, it would make sense to me that we should try to get something out of this, something that you want. And we'll ask them, what about home? How's it at home? How do your parents treat treat you? Are you happy with your relationship with your parents? What would you like change? You know, you say, look, I can't promise you, but i got to know what you want. So tell me, if it were a perfect world, how would it be different at home? What about school? What about, you know, do you think about your future? Do you think about how you want to live your life? What are... What are your dreams? We help them dream and have hopes and have a reason, really, to um, not use drugs and not commit crimes and a reason to go to school. And so it's a very collaborative, it's a very intimate process with the teen. Many times, and the kids respond so well to this because many times it's the first time any adult has really listened to the teen. Mostly their experiences parents and and teachers and police officers and uncles and aunts and everybody is telling the teen how to think, how to live, what they're doing wrong, um, and, and, and people in their lives don't sit and listen. And therefore, they can't really develop their ideas. And what we find is when you're supportive and you sit and you listen and you treat them like an adult, uh, the teens usually say very mature, very healthy, uh very interesting things and and then that their parents probably never hear, but would love to hear, and then usually the therapist says wow that's that's really amazing what you say. Um, do your parents know that? oh no that, no, no and then then the therapist will say, "Well, I think it'd be really important for them to hear that because if they knew you better." and knew this aspect of you, I think it would change how they see you and how they treat you in your relationship, and you might be able to get more of what you want from them. How about we we have on the next session, we meet together, and you start telling your parents, you start sharing with them some of these things about who you are and what you think. And it's an amazing process uh, for the teenagers uh, to experience that. And then the next step would be to have them together where the parents and the teens can talk about these important issues and they start to understand each other better and they feel closer and they feel more loving. In the context of work with the parents, we work along with them and help them find more effective ways to influence their team. Um So it could be in terms of a parent is, yelling and nagging and that usually doesn't work then we help them not do that and let's do something else it could be that a parent doesn't have real clear structure or uh in the home or the consequences are not clear or um so we'll help the parents figure out how they want to live their life as a family what are the what are the expectations and the consequences and and, and it's a give and take again the MDFT therapist is very collaborative and then we'll help the parent implement the the new parenting practice. So it's this alone work with the teen in the way that I described, helping the parents figure out how they want to have their family live and helping them find and implement more effective parenting practices for their family and then bringing them together to help them uh, reconnect to feel the love, to, to problem solve together, you know, which means talking in a way that others can hear you, listening, and then moving on and enhancing that connection. And then the fourth fourth component is helping the family work better with school, courts, and other community organizations or neighborhoods that are going to impact the life. And that's pretty much it.
1: Okay. Okay. Um... Well, what are some of the effective things that parents can do when they're talking to their children? Because we know that, uh, you know, confrontation, butting heads, you know, every action has an equal opposite reaction. The harder you push, the more the kid pushes back. So instead of that, what can, the, what can parents do when they're talking to their kids?
0: Well, one thing it's really important that parents realize and, you know, feel they're the parents. And as parents, they have a right to have demands and expectations. And we, of course, encourage that. They need to do that. That's important for them. Most parents want to do that. But but also, as you say, if it's just demand and expectation without the listening and collaboration and negotiation, then it's not going to work with a teenager, right? Because so how you no. parent a five-year-old may be different than a 15- or 16-year-old, and you have to listen to them. Now, one, what we tell parents is, you know, you you have your rules and, and you you have your right to demand certain things, and, and that's great. We're going to help you figure that out. But you want to listen to your team, Even if you disagree and you don't do what he says, you don't have to do what he says, but it will help a tremendous amount if you listen to him, hear him out. Hear what he wants, what he complains about. Hear what kind of rules he would like or consequences. And, again, you don't have and get to know him. You don't have to do what he says. Sometimes people misinterpret and they think that the MDFT therapist is basically saying, let the kid decide everything, and it's not that. But we do think it is very useful for parents, and that would be an advice I would give parents, is hear him out, listen to him, and then talk and decide what you're going to do and you may have rules and consequences that he doesn't like but if that's important to you that's fine that's within your right and we and we do find that if and, and there's been research on this too if teens have a say if they feel like they can voice their opinions and that they will be listened to even if the rule is something they don't like they're going to be more likely to follow it if they feel that they at least have been heard and the other thing that's super important in MDFT, once the parents and we help them figure out what their structure and rules will be, and it varies from family to family, of course, then we help them explain these rules to the teens. And it's in that setting that you want to hear the teen's ideas if they think it's a it's a lousy rule. Let's hear it. Let's hear why. We may agree. We may disagree. But you want to hear it. The team may convince the parent to change the rule, and that's okay too. And but what's really important is for the parents to tell the team that, look. You have these rule, We have these rules. I, I don't want you to be miserable. I want you to enjoy life and be happy and healthy. It's not like I'm trying to make your life miserable. But I th- these other rules we need to have in order for this family to function, for me, for the other siblings, for your dad, and also for you, that I'm having these rules in place because I love you, and I want you to be safe, and I want you to be healthy, and I want you to grow up and be a strong and wonderful man and woman and a success in life. And so I'm doing this not to make you miserable, but because I, it comes out of a place of love, because I, you're my daughter, you're my son, I love you, I want to protect you and be healthy. And the child hears that. That's amazing, right? Love is very, very powerful. And, of course, all parents feel the love, but we don't always say it in that way. We don't always have the opportunity. And therapy is fabulous because it gives parents the opportunity to talk this way to their children and for children to talk in very important and meaningful ways to their parents. And when the teens hear the parents speak in this way and talk about how the rules and the consequences and whatever it is they're doing – they're doing out of love out of um concern out of the fact that they believe in their kids it it just it makes it it makes it easier for the the teen to comply and he he usually does it's kind of an amazing thing to see
1: so also is is consistency important with these rules if you like say you know this is the last time that, uh, you know, you can smoke marijuana or I will take away your driving privileges or whatever. Uh, you have to stick with that, right?
0: Well, yeah, everybody, there is this notion, sure, everyone who talks about parenting and parenting practices and good parenting say it's important to be consistent. Well, yeah, it is important to be consistent, but, I mean, who is completely consistent? What parents are are completely consistent? So, yes, it's good to be consistent, but we need to be real about it. Uh, the reality is most parents are not going to be consistent, so consistent all the time, and it's not the, the, the North Star. It's not the most important thing. It is important to have reasonable expectations, and the kids know what's expected of them. Many times it's, not, it's clear to the parent. It's not clear to the teen. And, and, to, have, you know, and to have consequences and incentives. Uh, to follow the expectations and yes it should be reasonably consistent but of course parents are not perfect they're they're not going to be completely um completely uh, consistent um the most important thing is that um parents can come together as a team the two of them if there's two or three or four or whatever and uh, agree, be a united front and agree on what the rules and expectations are and, and incentives and rewards and so on and so forth. And it can change. And, yes, to be reasonably consistent. And and um, um, that's, you know, really important for it to be.
1: Okay. Let's talk a little bit about outcomes. Um, in traditional treatment, uh, the only outcome that counts is abstinence. You're either abstinent or you're not. You know, reductions in drug use don't count. safer using doesn't count. Getting better grades doesn't count. How about in your approach?
0: In your approach, we really look at the whole person. It's about the kid's life, and it's about the family's life. And if the teen is using drugs, yes, that's one per- part of their life, but it's just one part. It's really the whole, the whole life that we look at. So it's using drugs. It's how they get along with their parents. It's school. It's work. It's their own sense of self-worth. It's having dreams. It's having friends. Um, so it's really, it's really the whole life that we look at. So if a, a teen is just ab- gets abstinent in our treatment, or greatly reduces his use but is still not getting along with his parents and is still depressed and is not doing well in school, we would feel that that's a success. And we really, when we talk to the kids and the parents, it's really the issue of when we talk about drugs and alcohol is how is this getting in the way of you to have a happy and successful life. And it's a problem Um, because it typically gets in the way of the teen having a happy and successful life. It's hard to be using a lot of drugs and alcohol and do well in school and uh, form great social relationships and get along well with your parents and feel good about yourself. I mean, it's just hard to do it. So the idea is not, from our perspective, drugs and alcohol are bad. No, we we don't go there. It's just not relevant. The important thing is, is it interfering with your life now, your life now, and 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 your life in the future? And if it is, and it usually is, well, then that's not such a good thing, and well, let's see what we can do about it.
1: So you would say that a uh, uh, reduction in drug use and a reduction in drug-related problems, that would be a success?
0: Yes, although I don't even like to use the word success, failure.
1: Um, <laughs> also, well, I agree failure. with that. Yes. No, 'cause
0: Because what's that? The thing is, is how your life. Are you basic? Are you happy? Are you doing okay? Are you getting along better with your parents? Are you going to school? You have dreams. You have friends. You're basically happy. You know, then that's good. That's what we're looking for. Now, we, of course, you know, we we want. I mean, I tell the kids that right, you know we'd like you to not use drugs or alcohol at all. Of course, you know, you're 15 years old. It's illegal, and you know, you're a kid. But um, but but that's sort of beside the point, right? Um, some kids will um, become completely abstinent, and that's great. And some teens need to be. So there's some teens, they know that if they use just a little bit, drink a little bit or smoke a little weed, then they're going to go crazy again, and it will completely mess up their life. Other teens, they you know, they say they can drink a little, they can smoke a little weed, and they can keep it under under control. They know they won't let it get horrible again. And so we really help the teen um, do, you know, whatever is going to work work best for them. I think it's ridiculous to say, well, we're an abstinence-only program. Well, of course, all of us with, who work with teens, we want them to be abstinent. That would be great. There's no need for them to use drugs and alcohol. Um, But I always say, what are you gonna do? What does it mean to be abstinent only? It doesn't make sense to me. Are you gonna stick a gun in the kid's head and say, you know, I'm gonna blow your brains out if you don't stop completely? I mean, you're gonna get what you get. Some kids are gonna not abstain from drugs and alcohol completely, and that's great, that's fine. But others won't, and if they reduce it significantly so that it doesn't interfere horribly with their life, then you know they're probably and if they can and if they can keep it under control and know how to reach out reach out for help if it starts to get a little bit like they're using too much and it's interfering with their life they can manage it well then they're probably going to be okay too i mean it's the best you can do it's not a perfect world right it would be great if the kids didn't use drugs or alcohol at all. But we all know it is not a perfect world, and not everybody um, will will give it up completely. And so then the thing is, how can we help them, um, you know, not allow the drugs and alcohol to take over their life and to ro- ultimately ruin their life? That's the big thing. So, you know, you do the best you can.
1: I don't know how long uh, follow-ups you've done. Uh, I know this therapy has been around a long time. So, uh, but my question is, uh, how about uh, when they when uh, they grow up, they become adults? Do you see the a lot of them become normal social drinkers? You know, they've given up the illegal drugs. They're over twenty-one. They drink normally socially.
0: Well, we followed the longest we followed um, teens is forty-eight months. So many of those kids. Are you know 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, and 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 the vast majority of them? Well, I can say the vast majority, but a large number are not abstinent, and so and also are not um 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 are not in jail, and you know, they're so they're. Functioning reasonably well, and they are drinking or using uh some drugs, so yes, the answer is yes. in the studies where we have gone out that far, it does appear that there's a fair number of teens who are social drinkers as adults and um, and and it's not causing a problem in their life again there's a everyone is different, and with teenage um, drug and alcohol use is a little different than adults because you don't really know oftentimes um, if this is a a teen who absolutely must not drink or use any drugs at all because if they use a little, then they're going to go crazy with it, or if this is a teen who can be a social drinker and use it in moderation and not have a problem like many adults in the world do. So you don't always know. With a teen where they are many times though um, in in the process of therapy, you can uh get a better assessment of it and as I say, some of the teens who come in with drug problems they have their it's a it's a serious problem, and they can't drink at all because then they'll drink and they'll go crazy. but other kids who come in with problems and when we deal with the whole picture um the 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 drinking or the drug use is usually a component of larger uh um, problems or misery. They can get their life together and and as adults they can use alcohol in moderation and it never becomes um alcohol abuse or alcoholism
1: okay um well, a lot of traditional treatment programs they tell you that when you finish treatment, you have to get involved with 12-step programs and go to these programs. And What do you say about that?
0: Well, MDFT is very compatible with the 12-step approach in many ways. It's not incompatible. Um, And, again, it really depends on the team. So we often will recommend 12-step groups, especially team-focused groups, for the teams, and and some of the teams go and um, love it and do well. Others go a few times and they say it's really not for me. Others refuse to go at all, and that's okay. We can work with it. If it's gonna uh, be helpful for the team, well then great. You can go to twelve step meetings during MDFT, certainly after if that's gonna work for you. Um, but if it's some, we won't force it force a team to do it. Um, if they, they don't like it, they can't relate to it, that's fine, too. So it's not incompatible.
1: Okay. And now here's a question. We talked about this a little bit before the show, but this is an evidence-based treatment. It's been compared with uh, other treatment modalities. Uh, has it been compared with an untreated control group?
0: No, never, a, never a untreated or waiting list control group. All the comparisons have been active treatments, and actually, we pride ourselves on um, having comparing MDFT to strong treatments, um, because of course, the the less strong the comparative treatment is, the better the evidence base or experiment experimental treatment will be. So we like to compare MDFT to strong treatments, which we have individual psychotherapy, individual cognitive behavior therapy, residential treatment, which I talked about, uh, cognitive behavioral group treatment and other strong treatments, but never has never been compared to no treatment whatsoever.
1: Now I would always like to see uh therapies compared to a no treatment control group but do you think there would be difficulties with this uh getting it funded and would you like to do it if you had the opportunity? Well
0: yes I would love to do it if we had the opportunity. The consensus in the field really is that been there done that that we know already that treatment is- some treatment is better than no treatment. Now, you can argue whether or not that's true, but that's the general consensus in the field. So it would be very difficult to get a active treatment such as MDFT compared to a no treatment comparison uh, because uh, review committees would say, we know that already, that's not going to advance knowledge. It might be more reasonable to um, You might be able to get funded a three-group design where you compare MDFT with another active treatment and then perhaps the waiting list control. But even that, it's just not what people are thinking about these days. Really in the field, the people are thinking about comparing uh, active treatments. And then there's the ethical issue. If a a teen is referred for uh, treatment, for substance abuse treatment, often it's very, very serious and their lives can be in danger. So it's just the plain ethical of how can we take a child who is in need of help and, and give them no help while we do our experimental manipulation. So there's ethical, so there's research issues, but there's also ethical issues that make it um, very difficult In this day and age, to
1: have a study with a no treatment a no treatment group, you know, from my point of view, it's very unethical not to do the study with the no treatment control group. Uh, It's really essential to establish that the treatments are not harmful. There's been so many cases in history where you know the doctors knew best; they knew it was perfectly all right to dissect a corpse and then, without washing their hands, go deliver a baby. Although they they killed more women with childbed fever that way, you know, women started to stay away from the hospital and going to midwives because the doctors were killing them all. But the doctors knew better. Um, In this case, there just really have been almost no studies with no treatment control groups of uh, chemical dependency treatment. So I really, it's something I want to see happening sometime in the future.
0: Well, but I understand that, but there is no there there have been lots of studies over the years on various adolescent treatments, and none of them have found and you would find if the that the act that none of the active treatments have harmed the kids most of the teenagers are doing better in all of these treatments these evidence based treatments there's there's no examples of um the, the the kind of harm that you're describing. We would know that if that happened, and that absolutely is is not happening. Um, so I wouldn't worry about that too much. I, I understand absolutely your point of having a no-treatment group, because some people, obviously, we all know people who do better without treatment. Um, so that does make sense, but um i wouldn't worry about that the various evidence-based treatments or active treatments out there that have been studied are are harming uh uh kids and families and we don't know about it we would know about it and and that's clearly that's not happening the issue is are is it um better than no treatment at all and as i said there used to be studies years ago there were studies that compared active treatments to no treatment or waiting list controls and the, and the results of those studies were that treatment is better than no treatment, which is why now in the last twenty years or so it 's moved beyond that to comparing active treatments and to doing studies to try to develop um, current treatments to make them even more effective. That seems to be where the focus is on the field at this point in time. I mean, I I hear your point, um, uh, but that's just not where where the field is at at this point, historical period.
1: Well, people seem to assume those uh, studies have been done, but the only ones I've ever been able to track down, there was the, the Bransma study, where one of the treated groups uh, did worse than the control group because there was such a huge dropout rate, the twelve-step treated group did worse, and uh, then at the end of the year on the follow-up, uh, the the control group had improved so much they almost caught up completely with the with the treated groups, and then there was the Dittman study of uh, of uh, drunk drivers that were remanded to AA compared to a non-treated control group, and there were no statistically significant differences. So it's like people are assuming these studies were done, but I can't find any others.
0: Well, I don't know enough about um the adult literature um uh to comment on that and um we can just this can be a, an area where we disagree. Um I I think it an I I um a, a no-treatment control group could be interesting. I think the, the downside of not treating uh, children who need help uh, and putting their lives possibly in danger um, kind of outweigh the science. And just given where the state of the science is, I, just me personally, I don't think that's where we want to put our efforts right now in comparing these active treatments to a no treatment I'm sure we could learn something from it I hear you completely about that I have no doubt but again it's setting priorities looking at cost and benefits and you know you have to decide where you want to put your emphasis
1: well I don't want to belabor this point forever Um, so I'm just gonna say um, because I've looked at the multidimensional family therapy I'm very convinced in my mind that it is an effective therapy Um, you know, I just didn't have the experimental study that I would like to give me the hammer home glass piece of proof. I do think it's an excellent therapy. Otherwise, you know, I wouldn't have you on the show because I only have people on that, you know, I think they have good therapies. So I, I really am very much in favor of it. Um, so let's look at some more, this, um, some more of the evidence base because how has it stacked up against some other treatments? How has it stacked up in terms of retention and dropout rate?
0: Oh, yeah. Well, all of the family-based treatments, including MDFT, are really exceptional in uh, retention uh, of, um, of teens and families in treatment. It's unbelievable, and it's true for MDFT, in that the retention rates, are, well, engagement rates, if we just begin, start treatment, maybe not finish it, are usually over 95%. And in terms of retention for a full course of therapy, again, it's 85 90%, very, very high. So we often say we can absolutely engage the kids and families in treatment, and we can retain them in treatment. Now, you're not going to have 100% success with everybody, but we know we can get them in treatment and we can keep them in. And that's true for MDFT with these very high retention rates. And as I say, about 90% or more, as well as other family-based adolescent treatments. Um, So that's one uh, very, very consistent and robust finding.
1: And that's really good because uh, some of the standard treatments, we see huge dropout rates, 60% or more dropout rates. So this is a great retention rate.
0: Yeah, and it really shows us, and again, because of across the family therapies, it really shows us, I think it shows us, the power of the family, and that if you involve the family in treatment, you're going to at least, you're probably going to have more success, but certainly we know we're absolutely going to at least have a chance in the sense that we get to keep keep uh, kids and families in treatment, and you're right, the dropout rates and the, uh, for uh, many standard treatments are very, very high. So it's it's um, a real strength of the family-based model.
1: And what kind of improvements do you see over the baseline behaviors?
0: Well, in MDFT and all our studies, we see uh, significant meaningful reductions in drug use, drug and alcohol use, in uh, criminality, delinquent behavior, uh, in mental health symptoms. We see improvement in family relationships, uh, improvement in school functioning. Um, We see uh, fewer out-of-home placements, so kids are staying in their home as opposed to being taken out of the home by child welfare or uh, juvenile justice. So those are the main outcomes that we look at and in all we've done about nine studies so far, we consistently find um, that MDFT improves functioning in all these areas and that they're meaningful improvements and it, the improvements are as good or better than the alternative treatments. And the, to me the coolest thing about MDFT, I mean there's a t- couple – things that, I, that really encourage me to do this work and train more people in MDFT is because two findings that we, again, find pretty consistently across our studies, and it's great to do so many studies because you get to really look at the pattern. This is studies with um, urban and rural here in the U.S. and also in Europe, with with, uh, teens from various ethnic and racial groups, so very diverse, and we find the same consistent findings. And one of the most important, I think, uh, are the findings that MDFT, the gains made in treatment seem to last. They last 12 months after treatment, 18, 24, all the way out to 48 months, where in the alternative treatment, the teen typically starts to have an increase in symptoms, sometimes to intake level or near intake level, sometimes even worse. So we're really encouraged that MDFT, the treatment gains seem to last. Um, and, as, and what we find, as I said, many treatments, while the teen is in the treatment, they do better. We talked about residential, but various outpatient treatments that we've compared at MDFT, a good treatment, it's going to reduce symptoms and improve functioning, uh, but where we find where mdFT seems to have its power is it not only reduces symptoms and improves functioning while the gene is in treatment, but it seems to last and Of course, that's very um compatible with the theory of fam the power of the family and family therapy because what we try to do in mdFt in many family therapies, is help the family find a new way of functioning so that they can help themselves. And so it makes sense that if you do your MDFT therapy well and the, the parents and the family are strengthened, then they're gonna be able to maintain the treatment gain. So we like that's very exciting to us. And the second finding is that we find that MDFT is particularly effective when compared to other treatments with the more, the the children and families with the more severe problems, so teens who are very addicted to drugs, who have uh, drug and alcohol problems, but also uh, comorbid mental health problems, where there's a lot of family uh, disturbance and stress, whatever, just however you want to define it, the picture of the more severe problems. What we find in some of the studies is the alternative treatment does as well as MDFT on the less severe kids. But in the more severe uh, team, the MDFT does significantly better than the alternative treatment, even in the intake to discharge phase, even in the beginning phase, and then also as um, time goes on. So for me, those two findings about that our effects seem to last, and that it seems particularly effective in comparison to other treatments with the more severe cases um, is very, very exciting uh, to me about uh, the MDFT work.
1: Let's talk a little bit about cost and cost effectiveness. Uh, If I'm a parent and my child has a, problem with drugs, and I want to get this treatment, can I get it paid for by insurance or by Medicaid? If I pay out of pocket, what would it cost me? And how does it compare with other treatments?
0: Well, you know, it it depends on where you live and what kind of insurance you have and so on and so forth. We would like, there's not enough MDFT out there in the world. That's one thing. So it would be hard for many parents uh to have access to MDFT. It depends where you live. Some areas have more MDFT than others. It's not everywhere yet. We hope we hope to expand it. Um and same with insurance and Medicaid. Uh some will depends where you live, some will pay for MDFT services in your neighborhood and communities. Others may not. Um in terms of cost studies, when we've compared MDFT, it compares very favorably with outpatient treatment and, of course, with residential treatment, and that's where this whole issue of the more severe kids happens. So um, some states have implemented MDFT as an alternative to residential treatment, and the state. Uh, have saved, and insurance companies have in- saved tremendous amounts of money by putting chilled teens in MDFT uh, instead of residential placement in that we know residential is much more expensive and also the MDFT seems to work better so you're not having repeat uh, placements and whatnot.
1: Uh, do you have any estimate uh, offhand what it would cost for a month of MDFT treatment out-of-pocket?
0: Oh, geez. I don't have that handy. Um, We have, (laughs) we do have that data, but I'm afraid I don't have that handy. Um,
1: Well, all right. I'm sorry I didn't get you prepared with that ahead of time. Um, I I was listening to the video on YouTube, and it was quite a reasonable number that the man was quoting. I can't remember it offhand, but uh, compared to uh, some of these luxury rehabs uh, in Malibu that are sixty thousand dollars a month,
0: oh yeah,
1: <laughs> it's it's more in the hundreds of dollars a week, you know. Um,
0: yeah. yeah, <laughs>
1: it's it's definitely within. You know, a lot of people could pay for it out of pocket. It's it's within reason.
0: Absolutely, absolutely.
1: Um, so we're running out of time. I, I'm going to mention that I found out about MDFT through Ann Fletcher's book. And uh, next week, Ann Fletcher is our guest. She will be talking about her book, Inside Rehab. I'm very excited. She even mentioned our Hams Harm Reduction website in that book. So it was very cool. Um, what would you like to leave us with uh, before we say goodbye for the night?
0: Well, I guess the uh, most important thing, if there are uh, parents out there, I guess I, I'd i like to uh, speak to them. Uh, I think the most important thing is for parents to realize that they're the medicine, and if they're worried about their teen uh, using drugs, um, the most important thing is to not hesitate and to reach out for help. I mean, that that's... Many times parents aren't sure, and we want to believe it's not happening, and it can be hard to reach out, but it's um really important there's no downside to reaching out. Maybe your team doesn't have a problem, maybe you don't need therapy that's fine, but there's no harm in trying, and there's a lot of harm if you in uh delaying and not and not, not not getting help for your team because as we know, the drug use
1: can be really.
0: A serious problem, what I would recommend for parents, a great place to go to get help is the partnership at Drug Free. Uh, there's a website uh, www.drugfree.org um, and there's a lot of really useful information for parents, uh, how to know if your teens have a problem, how to talk to your te- teens, how to find treatment programs, how to evaluate if it's a good program. And they even have a uh, toll-free helpline uh, where parents can or teens can call and talk to trained social workers, and that number is 1-855-DRUG-FREE, 1-855-DRUG-FREE. And I just recommend that uh, parents uh, utilize these resources and save their teens' lives.
1: Okay, thank you for being our guest this evening, Dr. Gail Bakoff and we will see everyone next week. So, everyone, good night.